If you've watched this channel enough, you might get the impression that I hate Venus. It's possible, just possible, that I've even suggested that the planet is so terrible it should be pushed into the sun. The reality, of course, is that it's an incredibly fascinating world, the closest twin to the Earth that we have in the solar system. It's nearly the same mass and has the same surface gravity. While Earth is the beautiful, life-filled world that we all enjoy, Venus is a tortured hellscape with temperatures hot enough to melt zinc. With atmospheric pressure, it's more than 93 times what we experience here on the surface of Earth, and I always forget about the sulfuric acid rain. The Soviets sent a series of landers to a horrible demise for a glimpse of the surface of Venus in the 70s and 80s, but nobody's been back since. There have been new techniques and technologies in development that might make a serious exploration of the surface of Venus possible again. Exploration that could help us understand why the planet went so horribly, horribly wrong. It's believed that Venus was once milder and wetter in its early history. A recent study simulated that Venus could have actually been habitable until now. But at some point in its past, an extreme volcanic event turned the planet's surface inside out, shutting down any plate tectonics it had, filling the atmosphere with carbon dioxide. That led to a runaway greenhouse effect and created the hellscape that we see today. But scientists have so many questions. Did it ever have oceans that could harbor life? Was the early atmosphere on Venus similar to the early Earth? When did it diverge? Why does Venus rotate so slowly? And did this cause it to lose its planetary magnetosphere? Why does its atmosphere rotate so quickly compared to the rotation speed of the planet itself? What caused this volcanic resurfacing? And did it cause the runaway greenhouse effect? Did it only happen once or was it a regular occurrence? Will it happen again? Like I said, so many questions and mission planners have tried to get answers. We did a whole episode on the Soviet Venera program and their tragic luck with lens caps. Of the 14 attempted landings on Venus, only nine were successful. The last spacecraft to land on the surface of Venus was the Soviet Vega 2 lander. It survived for 56 minutes, drilled into a rock, sent some data back home, and died. Any rover or lander sent to Venus has enormous challenges. First, it needs to be able to handle constant temperatures above 460 Celsius. Even on the tallest peaks on Venus, the temperatures are still 390 Celsius. Because of the thick atmosphere, there's very little solar irradiance available for solar panels down on the surface. This scatters away light in the short wavelength of the spectrum. The lower the altitude, the worse it gets. A standard triple junction cell solar panel would get 550 watts per square meter at high altitude, but would only get 37.4 watts at 10 kilometers altitude, and only 8.7 watts down at the surface, 1 60th the amount of energy available to a lander or rover compared to an orbiter. And of course, there's the corrosive atmosphere. The sulfur in the atmosphere reacts with copper and many other metals, turning them into sulfides. Interestingly, 304 stainless steel is one of the most resistant in the Venusian atmosphere. That's the same stuff the SpaceX Starship is made out of. Considering these hazards, who's actually working on missions to the surface of Venus? 
The longest in the works is the Russian Venera D mission, which was proposed back in 2003 and was supposed to launch back in 2013, but was pushed back and probably now won't launch until 2026 or even 2031. The mission would consist of an orbiter and a lander. The orbiter would spend a couple of Earth days studying the cloud tops of Venus, measuring the planet's greenhouse effect, winds, thermal tides, magnetosphere, and how quickly its atmosphere is escaping off into space, driven by the sun's solar wind. It might also be equipped with two balloons that would remain aloft in Venus's clouds, studying the atmosphere from within, surviving for over a week. The balloons could drop microprobes, which would sample the atmosphere as they fell to the surface over 30 minutes. And Venera D would be equipped with a 170 kilogram lander. Its job would be to study the surface of Venus as well as its atmosphere and learn about how the two interact with each other. It was originally hoped that heat resistant electronics could be used to allow the lander to survive on the surface of Venus for up to a month, but it might turn out that's too expensive to develop. In 2017, NASA joined forces with the Russians working on Venera D, helping to define science objectives and considering how they could provide instruments or additional rovers and landers to the mission. How do you get a lander to survive in those kind of temperatures? You could bring fuel to cool a lander down. A recent two to $3 billion flagship mission to Venus was proposed to use a liquid gas cooling system to keep a lander alive for one entire day, like one Earth day, not a Venusian day. An additional idea would be to use a radioisotopic thermoelectric generator, the same kind of nuclear battery on board Curiosity, New Horizons, and the Voyager missions. While the RTG helps keep Curiosity's electronics warm on Mars, it would power a cooling system for a Venus lander. What if you could have a spacecraft that could stay alive on the surface of Venus for up to 60 days without active cooling. That's the goal of the long lived in situ solar system explorer or lease. This would be a 10 kilogram probe that would operate for half an entire day on Venus, it would show up in the late afternoon and watch how day turns to night in hell. Now that doesn't sound like much, but we're talking about 60 Earth days of survival on Venus. Over the course of this punishing period, it would measure the surface wind speed and wind direction the surface temperature and pressure and the chemicals in the atmosphere near the surface. It would also be able to measure how the amount of sunlight reaching the surface changes. The key is that it would be able to measure this over a long time and see how it changes. Engineers are proposing that the lander could be carried as part of a balloon payload and then dropped off when it's over the ideal terrain. It could also enter the atmosphere directly with its own entry shell. One idea is to have the lander operate with battery power, which could keep it alive on the surface for about 125 days if it transmits only two minutes of data every eight hours. But another idea would be to use wind power, allowing it to operate indefinitely. The key to this entire mission is a range of new electronics developed to survive high temperatures, originally designed for sensors that could survive inside jet engines. NASA now has integrated circuits made with silicon carbide semiconductors that can function for thousands of hours at 500 Celsius. In a recent test, circuits survived in a simulated Venus surface environment for over 21 days. The spacecraft is going to be small, just 25 centimeters across, too small, unfortunately, to even have a camera. So we'll never know what it's actually seeing down there. 
It could be one of the payloads for the Venera D spacecraft I mentioned earlier, or it could travel to Venus as part of another mission or on its own. There are still more creative ideas to explore the surface of Venus, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, I'd like to thank Michael Hickman, Mark Lacey, and the rest of our 842 patrons for their generous support. Educational content should be freely available to anyone in the world, and the patrons make this possible. Join our community at patreon.com universe today and get in on the action. Another radical idea for exploring the surface of Venus is to move away from heat sensitive electronics as much as possible and take inspiration from steampunk. This is a clockwork rover called the Automaton Rover for Extreme Environments, or ARI. It was proposed by Jonathan Sauter, a mechanics engineer at JPL. It uses a similar track layout to a World War I tank so it can recover and keep going if it rolls. Wind-powered mechanical gears would replace electronics, allowing it to survive as long as a year on the surface of Venus. In order to maneuver around the chaotic Venusian terrain, engineers originally considered the locomotion of the bizarre-looking wind-powered strawn beasts developed by Dutch artist Theo Janssen. They also considered a six-wheeled version with a windmill on top, inspired by the Soviet Venerokhod and Marzokhod rover concepts but they switched to the idea of tracked motion based on the tanks that could cross trenches and craters in World War I. Instead of batteries, the rover would store wind energy with metal or composite coiled springs. Although the energy density is very low, they'd be highly resistant to extreme temperatures and be reliable in the extreme environment. So how do you communicate without electronics? The engineers proposed putting a target on the rover that would reflect radar signals from an orbiter flying overhead. The rover would then put a rotating shutter in front of the target, sending signals in Morse code that could be read overhead. The team actually considered if it would be possible to build the entire rover with this kind of clockwork technology. But in the end, they settled on a hybrid concept, incorporating some of the high temperature electronics I mentioned earlier. Here's one last idea that I really like. It's called the Venus Land Sailor Zephyr, designed by a NASA team that includes Dr. Jeffrey Landis. Landis has made several proposals for Venus missions in the past, including a Stirling engine powered rover that would slowly let the heat of Venus into the rover's electronics, like a reverse refrigerator. Even though the atmospheric pressure on the surface of Venus is almost 100 times greater than Earth, there are winds. They're slow, moving less than one meter a second or 3.6 kilometers per hour. But with Venus's intense pressure, they develop a significant force. The Soviet Venera 10 spacecraft found a vast landscape that was almost perfectly flat from horizon to horizon, with tiny rocks not much bigger than a few centimeters. And it's this kind of flat landscape with a constantly blowing wind that would be perfect for a land sailor. The land sailor would be pretty big, weighing about 250 kilograms with an eight meter tall airfoil sail. It would carry about 25 kilograms in science equipment and the designers think they could return about two gigabytes of science data over a 30 day mission. It would also take advantage of the high temperature resistant silicon carbide electronics. Its body would be made of titanium to resist the corrosive atmosphere. An orbiter would fly overhead, acting as a relay back to Earth, but the Zephyr would need to make a lot of decisions autonomously as it rolls about four centimeters per second across the terrain. Venus will be one of the most complicated and challenging places in the solar system that humanity could ever try to explore. 
It'll require new advancements in high temperature, high pressure, corrosion resistant materials, and maybe even new methods of locomotion never tried out on any other world. But the payoff will be worth it. Venus could have been like Earth for vast periods of time before things went horribly wrong. It's the closest we've got to a twin planet. And the more we learn about Venus, the more we learn about what makes Earth so habitable. It's definitely time to go back to Venus. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts in the comments. Here are the names of the patrons who support us at the $10 level and more. Want to see your name here and support the work we do? Go to patreon.com universe today. Once a week, I gather up all my space news into a single email newsletter and send it out. It's got pictures, brief highlights about the story, and links you can find out more. Go to universetoday.com newsletter to sign up. And did you know that all of my videos are also available in a handy audio podcast format? So you can have the latest episodes as well as special bonus material like interviews with me show up right on your audio device. Go to universetoday.com audio or search for Universe Today on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll put a link in the show notes. Navigating the hellish surface of Venus will be a challenge. A completely different challenge will be soaring above the surface of Mars with all kinds of balloons, gliders, and airplanes. And here's a video we did on that subject.